Hey everybody, Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into our podcast at Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Would you be interested? Well, let me tell you a little bit about it. We don't have lasers. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage, but we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the whole world. We sing psalms and hymns, and we preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We love Jesus, and we're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. So would you be interested in coming to a church like that? If so, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. And feel free to visit our website, gospelfellowshippca.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. And now for today's message. One through 34, uh, would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? People of God, hear the word of the Lord. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Lord God, we do pray that as you have given your word, you would not fail to give us your spirit, that we might have understanding and the life that is in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Just yesterday, we had a meeting of uh, elders Uh, from a number of different congregations in this area, churches that we are very closely affiliated with. Uh, We call it a presbytery meeting. 
one of the things that we often do at those meetings is uh, we are concerned uh, to, uh, to discern and to evaluate those who have a call to the ministry. Uh, it's sometimes one of those ambiguous things. How do you discern a call to the ministry? It's a combination of, of uh, seeing uh, a desire uh, to teach and to preach and to counsel and to love the people of God, uh, seeing uh, the qualifications for that, a, a life that is lived in service to the Lord, uh, an understanding of right doctrine and of the scriptures, um, and also brought together with that uh, a, the Lord's provision in opportunity to serve uh, and seeing that the people of God receive it and the Lord blesses this ministry. Uh, sometimes, however, a kind of ambiguous type thing, discerning this sort of call. Uh, well, in the Gospel of Mark, there is no question to the fact that Jesus is called to preach. Uh, in some ways, that's the kind of thing that Mark is doing. He's building a case for the ministry of Christ and saying that of all people, he is called, he is gifted, and he is qualified to preach and to bring this gospel. Uh, you remember early on as we went through this book, uh, we heard the three voices, right? The voice of the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, the voice of John the Baptist as he was a prophet sent by God saying, this is the one who is going to baptize by the Spirit. The voice from heaven that was heard by the Father, this is my son. Uh, certainly he is called. And immediately what does he do? He goes out into the desert after there was this visible sign of the Spirit of God coming upon him. He goes out into the desert. And here is one who is qualified beyond any other preacher where he actually begins the defeat of Satan. So here is the one, as the, as the one who is going to accomplish this salvation, he then goes out and preaches. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And then he starts gathering to himself disciples. He calls them to come and of course they follow. And now we have this account that we just read. Jesus coming in and teaching in the synagogue. Uh, this account that we just read, just as we'll see in the whole rest of the book of Mark, is preoccupied with Jesus. It's his coming in and his teaching. Uh, the, even the demon calls out. He's noticing something about him. The people recognize something about him and his authority. His fame advances. All people come to him and where he's staying. Uh, we are preoccupied with Jesus and in particular his preaching and his teaching. The main point today is this. We need this preacher. We need this teacher to open our eyes and to open our ears. Uh, Jesus comes into the synagogue. He's teaching in a way uh, that people notice there's something different. Uh, it says that he taught them as one who has authority and not as the scribes. A very similar statement is said in Matthew uh, towards the end of chapter 7, uh, where it says, again, they notice, here he is, he's teaching as one who has authority, not as their scribes. Uh, if you would go back and you'd look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, uh, one of the things that is repeated throughout um, is that Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, 
You see, he's holding out himself. One of the things they notice about the authority that he brings is this, that the content of his teaching is inseparable from him. In his teaching, you are confronted with him. His word, his authority. You are confronted with him. To deny the teaching is to deny him. And here we have him who comes, and we need this teacher and this preacher. That's one part of the authority they recognize. There's something else. Not only is who he is and who this preacher is inseparable from what he is teaching, but his teaching is inseparable from a response. (laughs) That's maybe some of what's going on here, the idea of astonishment and amazement. Many commentators remark that it's not just joy. (laughs) They're a little bit troubled by what they're hearing. Have you ever had that when someone is teaching or preaching and you just feel a little bit uncomfortable? You don't like the kind of things that are being pointed out. Where here we have, this is exactly the kind of preaching ministry that Jesus has. It's stirring people up. You can't just hear it and move on. What is the content of his preaching that we've already heard? Well, he says this. This was our, this was our verse of the month last month. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's a command. You can't just ignore it. We have to do something. This is the authority they see in what Jesus is teaching and his preaching. Repent and believe in the gospel. It requires some kind of of response. It's similar in other gospel accounts to what John was telling people. But notice this difference. John was preaching in the wilderness and people were going out to him. Jesus comes right into their synagogue. They can't get away. (laughs) It's not just if they want to hear it. He doesn't care if they want to hear it. He needs to go. So he comes, and he comes to those who need to hear, and they have to do something. They can't just ignore it. It's inseparable from who he is. It's inseparable even from the need to respond to what he says. Now, we need to point this out. Uh, when Mark says uh, that they, uh, they, he taught them as one who had authority, he's giving the reason why they are astonished. It may not be the particular thing that they are recognizing. This is Mark's account here. This is the narrator speaking. Why are they astonished? Well, because of the authority he has, the difference from the scribes. We find out later what the people actually put their finger on, what they start to articulate about what the difference is in this person who's teaching. And it's after he casts out the demon. But here's what they say. They are amazed. What is this? Verse 27. What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Uh, there's a sense here um, that Jesus uh, is uh, um, uh, Jesus here is commanding this man is commanding and bringing this obedience. They're noticing something about the authority, uh, the authority that is seen. Uh, it's uh, it's adding something to it. They have this idea of the authority. Uh, what's making them uncomfortable? That they demand a response and they add to it. Not only you could say this. Not only is he commanding us. But he's commanding even the unclean spirits. You see that? They're they're pointing something out about the authority that they see and understand in the teaching that he has been engaged in. And that teaching is now seen visibly, the authority of his teaching, seen visibly in what he does. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. It's not a willing obedience, is it? Uh, It's a confrontation. Uh, The unclean spirit speaks to him, and we know that it's a confrontation because Jesus rebukes him. 
He doesn't just say something to him. He's rebuking. He's with his, wor- with his words opposing what the demon has just said and what the demon has just done. He is rebuking him. And we see how it is that the demon, the unclean spirit, comes out of the man. Uh, it says, crying out with a loud voice, convulsing him, he came out. This is not a willing obedience, but still an obedience. Here is one who is able to command that which is evil, which does not want to listen, which is uh, unwilling through and through, yet still compelled to obey. It's an obedience that says nothing about the one who obeys and everything about the one who commands. That's what they're noticing here. This kind of authority that is seen. The power is in his word, not simply in the one who responds. Now I have to say this. There's one thing that this means for us. Uh, Don't be so impressed with obedience. Even the demons have some kind of theological understanding, don't they? James says that too. The demons believe that God is one. They say that and they tremble for good reason. Here we could add to it, even the unclean spirits obey him. Uh, There are plenty of reasons why we may be forced, it seems, to obey. The question is, have we had faith in him? Have we responded to his teaching and what he says? Uh, The power is in his word. We are to be more impressed with Jesus and his word than we are with our own understanding and with our obedience. What do the people do? They see this authority and they start flocking to him. His fame spreads. What they have just seen about who this is and the authority by which he teaches, the same authority by which he casts out these demons, it spreads uh, almost immediately, it seems. It's the same day. His fame spreads, and that evening, everyone starts coming to where he is. And they're bringing all sorts of people who are sick and demon-possessed. This is not a new problem. Uh, These are people that didn't suddenly become afflicted with illness and uh, with these unclean spirits. Suddenly now, on this day... It's probably been around for some time. But here finally what's new. Here's someone who can do something about it. Here is someone who is able to help and able to heal. Uh, And they come out. These are probably embarrassing kinds of things. You don't like the idea of bringing in public uh, the people um, who are sick and ailing that other people cannot help. Especially you wouldn't like bringing out your family members and loved ones who are possessed by demons. How does that feel to have someone you love, when they are speaking, have a voice of an unclean spirit? It's almost indistinguishable here in this account, probably the same sort of things with others. That if they could speak, it's almost indistinguishable between the unclean spirit and the person. But here finally they bring in public places. Why? Because it's not cause for shame. It's cause for hope. Because here is one who can command them. All of these things that had been hidden, they probably didn't like, they probably didn't like talking about with other people, they didn't want to bring out in the light, but they're willing to bring out before him. Why? Because he's able to heal, and he's able to cast out, and it's this authority by which he casts out these demons and heals all sorts of diseases. He heals them all and is merciful in his healing. This is what draws the people to him. But it's important in this account in the verses that follow that we'll look at next week, that something slightly different 
is driving Jesus. The people flock to him. They want more of his healing ministry. But something else other than simply healing is driving Jesus. We won't read it now, but the verses that follow, uh, Jesus decides to leave. All of these people are gathered around looking for him, and Jesus decides to leave. Why? Because he is called to preach. He's called to go elsewhere and preach. You notice even how our own passage started today. Uh, Jesus didn't come into the synagogue ready to heal. He didn't come into the synagogue ready to start casting out of demons. He casting out demons. He came into the synagogue teaching. That's what he was about. That's what he was doing. That's what he's engaged in. What is Jesus concerned for? Teaching and what we saw before this. That he needs to be the one to teach. It is his teaching that's important. That it comes from his mouth and so he must go. That actually comes out when the demon speaks to him. The unclean spirit. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Ordinarily, if your enemies say something true about you, you would want to bring people's attention to it. Even, if even the people who hate me say this about me, well, it must be true. Everyone agrees. But Jesus silences him. Why? Because it matters who is saying it. Jesus doesn't want this to be spoken by them. They are not the ones to teach. They are not the ones we're supposed to hear from. What kind of teacher and preacher do we need? We need him, this teacher, and this preacher. He's concerned for who is teaching and who is preaching. He's also concerned for the timing. These are true things. Why doesn't Jesus just rebuke this unclean spirit and silence him and then move on to say, well, listen to me, I will tell you, I am the Holy One of God. Well, he moves on, right? He silences him and he's not ready yet. He's not going to say this yet. Why? Well, because it matters when the truth is made known. He's, he's opposing him and opposing some of what this unclean spirit is doing. In some ways, this is similar to what Satan was doing uh, in the wilderness, Tempting Jesus to make use of the prerogatives that he has, his rights uh, to, to, turn, to turn the rocks into bread, to, uh, to call down angels to assist him and help him. Here the demon is almost challenging him. Here you are, holy one of God. Show yourself for, for what you are. Uh, bring the judgment of God and destroy, right? He's challenging him. Uh, it's, it's not just a question. It's not only fearful. Many commentators see this as a challenge, which is why Jesus rebukes him. But Jesus is not about that yet. Jesus is not about that yet. He is not merely here at this point, ready to come and to destroy the unclean spirit. Notice he doesn't do it. He casts him out. To destroy the unclean spirit and to show himself merely as the one, the holy one of God. But here he waits. Notice this. Jesus, with all the zeal that he rightly has and will one day show, to judge all evil and all unrighteousness, waits. Even in the presence of this unclean spirit, waits. Why? Because he's about something else here. He is wanting to preach. He is concerned, not first for judging here, but he is first concerned that he go to the cross as the Savior, and as Savior, he is the one who is now teaching and preaching. 
It's out of a desire to save that he withholds his hand. It's not out of a lack of zeal. It's not out of a lack of uh, zeal for the glory of God and what is righteous and for opposing evil. But he waits because he's about something else first. A judgment falling upon himself before it comes from him. So Jesus is, is driven by the need to preach. But notice, he's about preaching, but he still doesn't turn away the people when they come. They come to him. So we see two things in how it is that the gospel advances from the mouth of Jesus. He is withholding his hand of judgment and the, and the wrath of God. He is withholding the destruction that comes from him. He is waiting and he is compassionate towards his people. They come and even though he's about to do something else and he moves on to preach elsewhere, when they come, he is still moved in compassion to heal them all. Jesus sees the needs, and he responds in healing, even where another focus is the, is the focus of his ministry. This is what drives Jesus, however, that he is about his work to save and as the Savior to preach. Here's the question. Have you heard him? Have you heard him? Uh, this is the only name by which the gospel is proclaimed. The same call to repent and to believe in the gospel. It's not proclaimed by some other kind of authority. The only advancing of the gospel in this world is by the same spirit of Christ. The spirit of Christ in the world that has that same authority to call us to respond. It's the form of a command that we must turn away from our sin and to trust in him. To repent and to believe in the gospel. You need his preaching. Have you heard him? It's the question of have we responded to him in faith? Have we heard him? Uh, is he not able? Is he not able to heal? Is he not able to deal with our sin? Notice again, remember, how closely this unclean spirit was intertwined, it seems, with the personality of this man. It almost is confusing when you notice the pronouns when it says he. Which one is it talking about? Is it talking about the unclean spirit or is it talking about this man? Uh, notice uh, verse 23. Immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Jesus rebuked him. Be silent, come out of him. The unclean spirit convulsing him came out of him. And here is the man who is speaking, intertwined with itself, the voice of the unclean spirit, yet still Jesus is able to cast him out and pull him out. Is he not able to deal with our sin when it is as deep as it could possibly go? A sin when we recognize what it is and say, it is inseparable from my person. How could I possibly deal with my sin? How could anyone deal with my sin when it's almost my very identity? Is he not able to command what is evil? And to cast out, is he not able, this man, to deal with sin as deeply as it goes? Is he not, finally, is he not willing? We've seen his heart. We've seen what he does when those who bring all sorts of needs, needs to him, those who are ill, 
uh, those who have various diseases, those who, have, uh, uh, who are afflicted with demons, they come to him. Is he not willing, when he has not only come preaching and casting out demons and healing various kinds of diseases, but has himself gone to the cross for the sake of his people, demonstrating the heart that he has for his own? After he has won forgiveness for his people, will he not be faithful to give that forgiveness to his people? Will his heart then be turned away and no longer be compassionate? Of course not. This is the heart of our Savior. From the very beginning of his ministry and his preaching before his death and his resurrection. Showing his compassion to withhold his hand in judgment. To respond to the needs of his people. How much more when that salvation has been won? When he has been crucified and raised from the dead. Here we have a Savior who continues his ministry from heaven. Advancing his gospel in the world. Just as compassionate. Just as able. Just as willing. If not more so because he has accomplished this salvation. He has it for the sake of his own. It's the gospel call to repent and to believe in the gospel. Uh, Let us go before our Lord now in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for what Christ himself has spoken, what he sends out by his authority. Work in us, we pray, by that same authority that we may lay hold of Christ and hate our sin as you give to us by the authority as the one who has been crucified and raised from the dead, the very life that is in yourself for your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you please stand, we'll sing together hymn number 672, verses 1. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, And you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.